So we're in this series, Goliath Must Fall, right? And a couple weeks ago, Brett went through 8,000 verses of 1 Samuel and took about an hour and a half and talked about the David versus Goliath story, which we've all heard, most of us have heard, we're familiar with from kids' church or vacation Bible school or whatever. And our tendency in that story is to place ourselves in the, in the hero position, right? We want to be David. And a lot of times that's how that story is taught, right? We're David. We got to go out and slay our giants. And you don't need a bunch of weapons. You just need faith in God. And you just need a stone. And you're the hero. And, and we do that in, pretty much anytime we read a story in the Old Testament, right? We want to be Noah. We want to be Abraham. We want to be uh, David. And, you know, and so we, we kind of place ourselves in the spot of the hero. Well, what Brett challenged us to do a couple weeks ago is, is to not think as ourselves as David as we go through that story, but to consider Jesus as David and knowing that Jesus has already conquered our giants and is, is, and is currently conquering them as we face them uh, in our lives. Am I okay here or should I get on the stage? You, you're good, you guys are good with me here? Okay. Uh, so G, we're, we're, Brett challenged us to view Jesus as David in that story of David versus Goliath. Uh, because Jesus conquers our giants for us in our lives. And then last week, uh, he talked about fear, how fear must fall, and that the antidote to fear is faith, right? And the soundtrack to faith is worship, and he, and he walked through all of that. Well, this week, if, if fear is a giant that you face, and if fear leads to inactivity or inaction in your life, the child that is birthed out of that is comfort or complacency. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And so I know it may be difficult to think of comfort as a giant, something that taunts us or wants to hurt our lives, uh, because usually comfort is a good thing when we think about that, right? I mean, I want to provide a safe, comfortable environment for my family. You know, back in, uh, Brett said I'd been at this church since 2003, and that is true, but my family moved to Georgetown in 2002, and uh, for many of you know my story, and I'm going to share just a brief part of it, but back in two, my wife is a cancer survivor, and 2002 was the year that she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Had a couple surgeries that year, went through six months of chemo, lost her hair, the whole deal, and our daughter was like four years old. Well, during that time, we decided we needed something positive to focus on in our lives, and so we decided to build a house. We had friends that were moving to Georgetown, and they liked the neighborhood that they had chosen, so they encouraged us to come out and look. So we did. Went out and found a great lot on a corner uh, with a bunch of trees on it. And about 11 months out of the year, I love my trees because they're these giant Texas live oak trees. But every April, those suckers dump about eight trillion of these little leaves all over my yard. You can't even try to keep up with them. It's just, you might as well just wait till May and then try to deal with them all at once because they just continue to fall. And then the leaves are bad enough, but then it also has these little stringy, silky, wormy things that sometimes hang out of the trees. And so you're going out on the back patio to enjoy the evening or trying to get to your car in the morning, going to work, and you're like trying to get through. It's like walking through spider webs or something, right? And then the worst part to me and you can tell I'm not a botanist or a tree person or whatever, because I don't know what all these things are called. But the, the little seedy, grainy things, what is it? Pollen. pollen. Well, I thought pollen was the green, powdery stuff that ends up on your cars. 
but it comes from those little seedy, grainy things, whatever those things are. Is that also pollen? Okay. Well, we're going to call it pollen. I, I'm not disagreeing with you. So the little pollen, seedy, grainy things that fall, and you can go out and you can blow off your driveway, blow off your back porch or whatever, and all it takes is a small gust of wind. doesn't even have to be a big, but just a little breeze. And then all of a sudden you see all these things come falling down again and they're all over everything. And the worst part is when it rains, it stains your driveway, stains your patio, everything. But for the most part, I love my backyard and I love my trees. Uh, So we decided to build a house that summer. We wanted a bigger house. We wanted a bigger lot. We wanted to get involved in church. We wanted to plug into the community. We wanted to have a place where our daughter could go from preschool to senior in high school in the same town with the same friends. And we did all of that, you know. And, you know, talking about the community, anybody go to a poppy festival last night? Did anybody stay for Joe Nichols? Was anybody else surprised with his opening song? He did a countryfied version of Baby Got Back. I was like, what? <laughs> But I, I love that our community does things like that, right? So we wanted to plug into to the community. Uh, you know, our goal was to establish deep roots here and, and meaningful friendships with a lot of people. And we've been able to do that. You know, I wanted a comfortable life. And all of these things are good. You know, at the end of the day, when I get home, I like to kick back and relax. And sometimes I go for a run, and then I'll make myself some dinner, and I'll settle in, a nice dinner, right? And then I'll settle in, and I'll watch my favorite show on TV or Netflix, uh, I like knowing how much money's in my bank account because it helps me feel financially secure. And I like knowing how much money's in my retirement. So one day when I don't want to work anymore, I still have money. Uh, I like things to be orderly in my life, not chaotic. And I like things to be smooth and to go as planned. I like comfort. Comfort can be a good thing, right? But the trouble arises when my desire for comfort becomes the dominant theme in my life. And if I'm not careful, I can allow this relaxation mentality to, to kind of come in and replace my attentive to, attentiveness to what God wants to do in my life. And especially if fear creeps in that we talked about last week, fear leads to inactivity, and inactivity can lead to being comfortable or being complacent. And so because of this, I think that comfort is perhaps the scariest giant of all because it's so subtle. You don't even realize that it's a giant a lot of times. Uh, And it's the giant that will cause us to miss the very best because we have settled for something good. And I love this uh, John D. Rockefeller quote. I think I have this here. It says, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. You can't do that if you're inactive, right? You can't do that if you're afraid to move forward. You have to be willing to give up the good to go for the great because... Here's our bottom line for this morning, or the main point, is our faith thrives in discomfort. If you're like me, I think most of us desire to be comfortable. We want that safe, secure environment. But a lot of times, comfortableness and obedience will butt heads. I've already said the word complacency, so if you're having trouble with the word comfort, let's use complacency because that may help us digest better what the, the points that I'm trying to make. And Webster's Dictionary defines complacency as a feeling of quiet pleasure or security, often while unaware of some potential danger. You know, and it's, it's common, I think, for us, as I said a minute ago, that we, we get comfortable, we get complacent, and it's because 
it, it feels like it's a neutral, safe place for us to kind of rest, right? And, and I'm not talking about a Sabbath rest or God's peace or anything like that. That's not what I'm talking about when I, when I mention comfort. Uh, but comfort can provide for us a, a false safety zone, if you will. Uh, and we are often complacent because we are afraid of change. We talked about that a minute ago, right? If fear leads to inactivity, a lot of times that's because we're afraid to make that change in our lives. And then we become complacent and we start making excuses, right? We'll say, could be in your marriage. Well, this is just who we are. That's just something that he or she does. And I just have to accept that about them or whatever. You know, we start to do that in our lives. Well, that's just part of my life. This is one of my struggles. This is the thorn in my side or whatever. And we just kind of, we be, begin to accept those things in our lives rather than stepping into them and, and maybe going through the, the difficult struggle of trying to deal with them and having those hard conversations. Uh, back in January, our church did the New Life in Christ series. Do you guys remember that? Uh, about four or five weeks there in January, uh, each of our pastors got up on the stage on Sunday mornings. It was Kevin, David, I think Chad preached, and uh, Brett they all gave a, a message on really the giants that they face in their life. And it was one of the best series that I can remember this church doing because each one of the pastors that spoke was so honest and vulnerable with the struggles that they were facing in their lives. You know, and then the other component of that series was a Wednesday night event that we had each week where we got to come on Wednesday night, do a little bit of worship. But the, the main point of the Wednesday nights was to hear other people from our church give testimonies about the struggles or the giants that they face in their lives. And leading up to that point, uh, I had kind of gotten myself in a situation where I had felt, maybe not felt's the right word, where I, I just, I didn't, I didn't hear God speaking into my life as frequently as I wanted to. Even though I was still getting up every morning, doing my daily Bible reading. I was going to church every Sunday, but I just kind of felt this silence from God, like he wasn't speaking to me, and it was beginning to get real frustrating. And then my wife took a job. She's currently temporarily working in Iowa as a surgical tech, and so we're kind of separated right now by distance, right? I'm in Texas. She's in Iowa. Uh, and so I'd found that not only God is not speaking to me, but I began to recognize as I'm listening to the pastors teach on Sunday mornings and the testimonies that are giving on Wednesday nights, this word isolation kept coming up over and over again. And unintentionally, I began to, or I began to realize that unintentionally I had isolated myself from community, from others in my life that could speak wisdom into my life, maybe what God wanted to say to me. Uh, I travel with my job a lot, and so when I'm away, it's easy to be disconnected. And then when I'm home, I'm so tired, I just want to be home, right? Because I, I got this nice, big, comfortable house that I talk to you guys about, right? So I just want to be home and be comfortable. And so I began to realize that, hey, maybe this isolation thing is something I need to address in my life. And so during the Wednesday night portion of the New Life in Christ series, they talked about this program called Regen regeneration that our church offers. It's, it's basically a recovery program, but it's really more than that. It's a systematic discipleship process. And so I began to think, well, maybe I should attend a, a regen meeting, not really knowing what I was getting into, right? And so decided to go. The New Life in Christ series ended at the end of January. I think the first regen meeting was the following Wednesday, first week of February. So I went. And part of what you do there is you break into these small groups. They call them the first part of the journey is a, is a groundwork group. And it's about five or six weeks where you're going through some 
pretty basic. Uh, if you've been a Christian for a long time, it's pretty basic discipleship stuff to kind of help you just kind of reconnect with God and those kind of things. Well, part of that group is a sharing time, right? And so everybody's going around the room. And, and please don't take this the wrong way because I, I, I'm not meaning to speak light or make light of other people's struggles or addictions. And I think addiction is one of the giants that we're going to talk about in, a, in one of the weeks during this series. But everybody began to share, and one person after another talked about alcohol or drugs or porn or something like that. And I'm like, you know, I don't, those aren't my struggles. Those aren't my giants, you know? And so I'm not, I'm not sure if this is for me because it, it felt like I was at an AA meeting, right? And so I went and talked to Kevin and David, and I was like, yeah, you know, maybe this is not something for me. And they, they really both encouraged me, you know, because our whole staff went through this as a staff. And they really encouraged me, stick with it, let God work and see what he says, continue to go to the group, and just see, get through the groundwork, get into the step groups. And once you start going through the steps, maybe God will start to reveal. Well, it didn't even take that long. Like two, three weeks later, I'm in, the, I'm in our groundwork group, and God is beginning to open these little cracks in my heart and to reveal some things to me about my life. And I'm bawling my eyes out sharing with the guys, and, uh, you know, one of the things that God revealed to me is that I had become complacent in a lot of areas in my life. I had begun to make excuses for how things were because I was comfortable or too afraid to step into those conversations or into those situations and deal with them. And I had allowed this complacency to set in, which led to isolation, which led to me being disconnected, you know, and I'm getting further and further away from God. And there's no wonder I couldn't hear God speak, right? Well, now I'm in a step group, uh, God is really opening up these cracks in my heart and letting light in and revealing some things about me. And I'm, here's the great thing about it is I'm hearing God speak to me now in new and exciting ways that I haven't heard from him maybe ever, but definitely in a long time. And it, it's not going to be easy, and it's not always going to be fun. And I know that, and it's going to be a long journey. Because here's what I'm learning as I'm going through this, is whether your sins are alcohol, drugs, or porn addiction— or they're whatever they are. You list them. All of us are broken. All of us need healing and recovery. And what Regen is showing me is that the depth of my sin and depravity, even though I don't deal with what other people deal with, and I'm not grading sins. Please don't hear me say that. I'm not saying my sins are less than anybody else's. What I'm learning about myself is that the depth of my sin and depravity is what keeps me from that communication with God and what keeps me from moving forward, and what God wants for my life, and what keeps me from pursuing the best because I've settled for the good. Is that making sense? Is that resonating? Okay. Now let me find where I'm at. So, you know, it's not... Stepping out of complacency requires a regular commitment to move towards a healthy lifestyle. And that's what Regen is doing for me is because every week I have to be there, right? I've made a commitment to myself, to the pastors in my church that encouraged me to go through this, and I made a commitment to the other 12 guys in my group that I'm supposed to be there every week. And so I'm being held accountable, but it's an effort to move out of this isolation towards a healthy lifestyle. So maybe you haven't connected quite yet with anything that I've said as far as complacency or being comfortable says. So I'm gonna run through a list and see if any of these resonate with you. And I didn't put these on the screen because I didn't want you reading ahead. I want you to listen to them one at a time as I go through them. 
If we miss a great opportunity because we choose a safer, easier route. Have you ever done that? If a good thing actually turns out to be harmful or counterproductive over time because it lulls us into a false sense of security. If we choose or settle for the good thing but miss the God thing. If we... <laughs> Well, this is, this is a kind of our culture right here. If we buy into the idea that we can work hard for a season of our life, and then at a certain point, we can do whatever we want the rest of our lives. If we slip into thinking that it's my life to do with as I please. If my number one factor in deciding what I do is whatever makes me happy. If Comfort is sought ahead of everything else, including our desire to be available to God's plans. I'd rather be comfortable than follow God. The thing that comes to my mind here is anytime we have a missionary come talk to our church, I'm like, God, I'm not going anywhere. Mm -mm. No. Mm -mm. I'm not going to Africa. I'm not going nowhere. I'm pretty comfortable right here. I think I have a mission field. You start, you're right? You start convincing yourself that you're, my mission field is Georgetown, Texas. I got coworkers that need Christ. I'm not listening to going anywhere. Uh, so do we, do we seek comfort over being available to what maybe God wants to do in our lives? If we, this is what I'm dealing with now and, and what the whole purpose of Regen is, if we grow accustomed to our sin and fail to confront it and remove it from our lives, you know, our lives are supposed to be lives of repentance. How often do we actually do that? Do you get up every morning and start talking about the sins that you committed the night before? Or do you go to bed confessing your sins before you lay down and go to bed? If I'm honest with myself, I don't do that often enough. But I, but I think we should because I think we, we can't go through a day without doing something wrong that has offended God. And I, I just think that our lives should be a life of repentance. So... You know, and that's kind of the dangers. We grow comfortable and we refuse to acknowledge these things in our lives. And that's why this idea of comfort or complacency can be such a dangerous giant. You know, no one in Scripture, as you read through the entirety of the Bible, no one in Scripture that played a significant role in God's plan ever did so by choosing the easy, safe route. They always took risks because they understood that their faith thrives in discomfort. So we're going to look at a couple different passages. I've got them on the screen so you don't have to turn or look because I'm going to try to make sure you have time for, for small groups. Uh, but do you guys remember the story of the rich parable? We're going to look at the opposite side of the coin first, kind of the negative side of the coin. Uh, the parable of the rich fool. In, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is telling a parable and he says uh, about this man, he said, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And I'm sorry, I have to admit my age now. I can't quite... I do pretty good until I have to actually read something, and then it's bad. I hate it. You know, getting old is not for sissies. I think I've said that in here before. You got to be kind of tough to get old. I wake up every morning, I'm a little bit sore and stiff, especially if I do any running the day before and can't see anything. It's frustrating. Anyway, so Jesus is telling a parable. He says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. 
I will tear my, born, my barns down and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So this man chose the easy, comfortable life. And the sad thing is his story ends in complete and utter emptiness. There's no reward. There's no commendation from God about living a, a faithful life. So I want you to think about how this may play out in, in your life. Most of you in this class are raising kids. That's why you're in the parenting teens class. And what kind of example do you want to leave or what kind of legacy do you want to leave for your kids? Because here's one thing I know is that if you're a parent, your kids are watching you. And uh, I had a, a friend of mine call me this week. I was in Arkansas Monday and Tuesday traveling and on my way back to the airport to come home, a friend of mine called and we have a mutual friend who is, uh, his marriage is, is on the rocks. And he was asking me what's the best way to counsel or advise or to walk through our, our friend through this time. And I said, you know, one of the things that, the first thing we need to ask is, before we give any kind of advice to him, is, is what is the answer to the question, what does God want for my marriage? You know, does God want my marriage to end in divorce? We all know the answer to that question, right? God does not want any of our marriages to end in divorce. So if that's the answer, then we have to choose to be obedient to what God tells us in his word about marriage, specifically in this case with my friend, is we need to encourage him to be the man that God's called him to be and to follow scripture and what it says about how a man should love his wife, right? And sometimes that's going to be a very hard, difficult road, depending on how, how far isolated maybe their marriage is or how, what the issues are or what they're dealing with or whether it's bitterness, resentment, or an affair, or whatever the issue is, you know, there's something that they're dealing with as a couple that is not going to be easy to overcome. Otherwise, they wouldn't be talking about divorce, right? And so we, we decided we were going to encourage this guy, you have to step into the difficult part of this circumstance and be obedient to what God's scripture says about marriage, even if that means it's a long, hard, difficult road. Because here's what your kids are going to see. Do you, would you rather be a dad or a mom that shows the example to their, to their children that they are obediently following God and choosing to follow Jesus, even if that means it's not easy, versus, because that, that, even, that path, even though it may not end the way we want it to, because sometimes parents get divorced, no matter how hard one or the other try, right? Sometimes that happens. But if the, even if the end result isn't the way we want it, if our kids see us rigorously following God and doing everything within our power to be obedient to what Scripture teaches us, that at least leads to hope and confidence in that relationship with your kid and with you, between you and God. If they see a parent who's being disobedient to God and disobedient to what God's Word says about marriage and choosing the easy, convenient way, and divorce is easy and convenient, I'm sorry. It just is. I, regardless of the situation, I don't care if there's been an affair or multiple affairs or whatever. 
one of those, one of the two has to be obedient to God and try to follow what God is saying in his word about marriage. The other one may not, right? And that's why a lot of times couples end up in divorce because one, one couple, one person has decided they're not going to be obedient to God. So which do you want your kids to see? Do you want your kids to see someone who's being faithfully obedient to God, even though the end result may not be what you want? Or do you want your kids to see someone who has abandoned God as being disobedient to God, and that only is going to end in complete emptiness? The choice is yours. And so I told my friend, I said, we need to encourage him to follow God no matter what, and we're, we're going to pray for reconciliation, but even if that's not the answer or that's not the result, we need him to follow that because we want his kids, especially his daughters, to see that man, not the other one. Does that make sense? Sorry, that's kind of, kind of passionate about marriages staying together right now. It seems like the enemy likes to attack our marriages, and it seems like there's a lot of that going on uh, in our community. Uh, I love this verse from Proverbs chapter 1, uh, verse 32. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. You know, God isn't calling us to be comfortable. He's calling us to be faithful because our faith thrives in discomfort. Now, we're going to run through real quickly. We're going to run through some verses in chapter 11. Uh, it's or chapter 11. You don't even know what book. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11. How about that? Uh, we're going to run through uh, Hebrews chapter 11, just a couple of verses, uh, because I want to highlight a few things. And so uh, we're going to do this rather quickly, and then we're going to kind of get down to uh, the application part. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. You know, if you can't see something, if you don't know how it's going to play out or what the end result's going to be, that produces a level of discomfort in your life, right? It's not comfortable to, to think about not knowing how something is going to turn out. Uh, verse 4 says, faith, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. The thought of dying is somewhat uncomfortable. In Abel's case, the thought of being murder, murdered takes my discomfort level off the charts. I mean, the thought of being killed by somebody else scares me, honestly. And, but that's what Abel dealt with. Uh, chapter, or verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please him or God. I think that verse is pretty self-explanatory. Uh, verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in a land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents, with Isaac and Jacob, hairs with him of the same promise. I don't know about you, but I like knowing where I'm going. And these days with the GPS apps like Waze or whatever, we can punch in the coordinates, punch in the address, and you should make it there okay. But if I ended up somewhere I wasn't supposed to be, especially if I ended up in a foreign land and I had to live in a tent, that would, that's not a comfortable situation. And I would probably never use Waze again, right? I would delete that app from my phone and I would never use it again. Uh, Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, and when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. How many of you had all your kids in your 20s? Good for you. How many of you had kids in your 30s? There you go. <laughs> How many of you had kids in your 40s? 
We've got a few over here. Okay. Should I go even one more? Anybody have kids in their 50s? Okay, so a little quick story about my family. My mom had her last child when she was 40. This was way back in 1990, so it was kind of a big deal back then. I think it's a little bit more common now, but my mom had kids in four consecutive decades. I was born in 1968. I have a sister who was born in 1970. I have another sister who was born in 1980, and then I have a little brother who was born in 1990. Yeah. My brother's like 20-something. He's in his 20s. He's a freaking millennial, you know? <laughs> I have, I have co-workers who are the same age as my brother. It's, it's weird. Anyway, I love him. I was more like an uncle to him growing up. Uh, but here's the deal. Sarah was 100. That, that's not even comfortable to read about. I don't want to read about anybody having a baby when they're 100. Uh, you know, so that, I mean, she was not in a place of comfort when God said she was going to have a child. Uh, Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. That verse is packed with what we're talking about this morning. First of all, when's the last time you, you chose to be mistreated versus following God? I mean, many of us probably never have done that. Uh, but in... He chose to be mistreated rather than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. I think that's what comfort and complacency leads to, is this season of sin in our lives when we settle in and get comfortable there. Uh, now, here's, the, here's the, the last paragraph is kind of really what I wanted you, to, you guys to see and hear. He's, uh, the writer of Hebrews is kind of talking about all the Old Testament, uh, our heroes that have lived by faith. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. I love this one. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. There is absolutely nothing about that paragraph that makes you sit back and go, ah, comfort. <laughs> right? I mean, these guys had it hard, you know, and our heroes of faith chose to live lives of sacrifice, and their faith thrived through their discomfort, and they pleased God, and their stories ended up with God commending them for their faith, commending them as righteous, and their examples give us enormous hope and motivation that our faith can also thrive during moments of discomfort. You know, God, God moves among his people when they are willing to step out of their comfort zones. Here's one of my fears is I think the greatest regret that any of us could ever have is standing before Jesus, knowing that we lived too safe, too comfortable, and too short-sighted, that we didn't step into our faith, and we didn't allow our faith to thrive through discomfort. Uh, so... So what do we do with all this? How do, how do we kind of apply this to our lives? I have a couple of ideas for you. Uh, you know, a few, a few months ago, I started using a new day planner. And as part of the day planner, each, each page as part of the calendar and the scheduling process and goals and all that, there's a motivational quote on each page. And I want to share three quotes that came off of my day planner from this week as I was preparing to study and, and bring this lesson this morning. Here's the first one is, do not wait to strike till the iron is hot, but make it hot by striking. 
That's very active, right? Get, get out of your comfort zone. Do something. Don't sit back and wait. The second one, don't let the fear of losing be greater than the excitement of winning. If you don't get in the game, you're not going to win. I, this I love. Every, people taking pictures. I'm going to pause for just a second. Give myself a... <laughs> just kidding. The last quote says, don't let what you cannot do interfere with what you can do. So here's, here's a couple things that I'd like for you guys to maybe consider this next week, is go back and reread Hebrews chapter 11. Read it every day. And while you do, I want you to meditate on how each of these heroes had to move out of their comfort zones in order to be used by God. And then I want you to ask God to reveal areas in your life where you may be too comfortable or too complacent. And then I want you to do something to get out of your comfort zone. And here's what that may look like. You may need to confess the giants that you're struggling with to a couple of trusted friends. You know, I do that every week when I go to Regen. You know, I have a new life in Christ. I am suffering or recovering from uh, or battling the giants of selfishness, a lack of self-control in many areas of my life, and complacency. My name's Kelly. Thanks for letting me share. And so I, I do that every week with these guys. And a lot of times that list changes depending on what God is revealing uh, to me in my life. So confess your giants to a trusted friend. Maybe consider joining Regen. Because like I said, it's, it's not just for addicts. It's not just for the drug and alcohol and porn addicts or anything like that. It's for everybody who's broken, which means it's for everybody. And so it's a, it's a systematic discipleship process. And if you want to find out a little bit more about it, there's information on our website, and I'd, I'd encourage you to go there. And I didn't put this in the slide, but there are tes uh, video testimonies of everyone who gave their testimony on that Wednesday night portion of the New Life in Christ series. Their testimonies are on the website. I believe they're still there. Uh, and you can go watch those. And David Griffin often says that when somebody's giving their testimony, it's like God placing a mirror in front of himself. Because at one, it gives us courage that maybe we can do the same thing that we can see ourselves giving our testimony about the struggles that we face. But oftentimes, more than that, it allows us to say, you know what, I also struggle with that. I'm also dealing with that in my life. And then finally, here's the, the last quote that came out of my daytimer this week, is do one thing every day that scares you. If you get in the habit of doing that, you're not going to live in a comfort zone because you're going to get in the habit of doing something that maybe is a little uncomfortable in your life because we know that our faith thrives in discomfort. So imagine with me for just a minute what your life could look like or what our lives could look like if we chose to be rigorously honest with ourselves about the giants that we face. Can you imagine the legacy you could leave your kids if we chose to pursue obedience to God so that we might have the best of what he has to offer for us rather than settling for the easy, convenient route of comfort? Can you imagine the victories we could win in our lives if we remember that we are not David in the story of David and Goliath, but rather Jesus is David, and he has already conquered our giants? Can you imagine the impact we could have in our community and in the world with the gospel if we stepped out of our comfort zones and truly believed that our faith thrives in discomfort? I hope that each of you, that each of us, will have the courage to move out of our comfort zones and be obedient to what God wants to do in our lives.